as we go into uh, our time of hearing from his word. We are continuing our study in the book of Matthew. We're now in chapter 6, verse 16. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. And you can follow along on the screen if you'd like to read. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You may be seated. Father, we ask as we as a church look to this text this morning, as we hear from our Savior, that you would open up our minds to maybe something we have never considered before as Christians. And that as we think about Christ's instruction here, we would be receptive to this spiritual discipline that you have given us as a means of drawing us, um, helping us to focus and helping us to, to think more clearly about who you are and what Christ has done and to put aside the concerns of the flesh. So, Father, guide us this morning as we look to your word and strengthen me for this sermon. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we come this morning to the third and final illustration that Jesus uses to teach us about a a righteousness, a true righteousness that springs up from a heart that has been made new in Christ. A few weeks ago, we saw that Christ taught us about how that type of heart gives. And then after that, we saw how Christ taught us about how that type of heart that's been made new prays. And we looked to that topic of prayer over the last couple of weeks. This week, Jesus addresses the issue of wholehearted fasting. Each of these praying, fasting, giving, they're all religious practices, aren't they? And Jesus has, has talked about each of them. In fact, nearly every religion in the entire world has some way of observing these practices. Giving, praying, or meditating, fasting. And nearly every religion fasts for a different reason. Buddhists fast, Hindus fast, Muslims fast, Sikhs fast, even secular people who wouldn't consider themselves religious. Even they fast, all for different reasons, but, but it's universally a kind of a religious practice. Whether it's for health reasons or to help people identify with the poor or to clarify their thoughts or to purify their bodies. Uh, I read this week that some Hindus teach that fasting is a way of dealing with our own sin. Kind of a, a, um, a preemptive self-punishment to avoid the punishment of, of, of their gods. A lot, of, a lot of different issues, a lot of different ideas surrounding fasting. It's extremely common around the world. And in our passage this morning, it seems that Jesus is acknowledging that, isn't he? He's acknowledging that fasting is something that's expected of religious people. So what does he say? He says, when you fast, don't do it in a way that draws attention to yourself. 
don't fast the way that the hypocrites do. And by hypocrites, I think he would mean all of those other religions. They, they fast as a way of practicing their religion, but their fasting isn't wholehearted. They aren't genuinely seeking the Lord because they genuinely don't have the Lord. Their hypocrisy was in their fasting for show, to be seen by others. They want to appear to be religious, to appear to be sacrificial, to desire that others would see them as religious people, as serious about their religion. The Pharisees, in the days that Jesus walked the earth, they had taken this type of fasting to a whole new level. And their desire to help return Israel to strict religious practices, they were fasting twice a week. That wasn't required of them. Fasting was only required once a year for Jews around the Day of Atonement. But these Pharisees were fasting twice a week. They, they believed that the reason Israel was still under Roman occupation was because of their corporate sin as a, as a nation. And so the Pharisees and others who were zealous for the Lord were fasting on behalf of the people. And they did it in a very public way. So that people would see what they were doing and, and, and admire them for their sacrifice for the people. They were what we would call professionals, professional fasters. They sometimes would fast intentionally for the rains to come, to nourish the crops. They would fast for freedom from Rome, like we talked about. But all of it was to be seen by others. To be sure that everyone knew that they were the fasters, they were very public about it. You, you can imagine how this would be. Oh, no thanks, I'm not. I'm not eating today, I'm fasting for you. Right? <laughs> and they, they wouldn't wash their face, they wouldn't change their clothes. This was all a very public way of of showing their righteousness or what they perceived as their own righteousness. And you can imagine that it would, be, would have been combined with their public prayers, the things that Jesus has been teaching us about. So here are the holiest Jews in everybody's eyes. They're fasting for their fellow countrymen and they're wailing and praying on behalf of their fellow Israelites. You can imagine they were admired. They were admired by everyone else. Jesus says, when that takes place, they've already received their reward. So he tells us, when you fast, don't do it like that. Instead, what are we to do? Anoint our heads with oil, wash our faces, and basically let our fasting be a secret. Now this, anointing your head with, with oil and washing your face, those are Old Testament signs of celebration. So it, this is the equivalent for us today would be like fixing your hair or getting a haircut, shave if you're a man, put on makeup if you're a woman, put on something nice, wear your good shoes, do the things that you would do as if, if you were getting ready for a, a big party, a big celebration or a wedding. We're to appear when we fast as a hopeful people, a joyful people, a celebrating people. And then we are to fast. To take a day off of eating, but do it to be seen by the Father, not by, by others. This is the same teaching that we had with giving. This is the same teaching that we had with praying. We fast 
Because we are children of the Father, we live in response to our adoption. We live in hope of our salvation. And fasting is is one of the ways that we remind ourselves in the Lord that our hope is in Christ, that our treasure is in heaven, which we'll talk about next week. And that's it. That's basically Jesus' teaching about fasting. That's all he has to say. And, And we could look at that, and I think many of us do, and we say, okay, I'll, I will keep that in mind next time I fast. But here's the problem, and this is the rest of the sermon, okay? Unlike giving, which we are generous with, and unlike praying, which we know is an expectation and something that we look forward to, fasting is not at the top of our list of ways that we respond to the grace of God in our lives, is it? This is not a regular part of our worship. This is not a regular part of our encouragement of one another. So what I want to do with our time this morning is just explore that a little bit. We're going to ask this question, why, two different times. First question is, why should we fast? These are, and I'm asking these questions because these are the questions that I had this week when I read this. Why should we fast? The second question is, why don't we fast? So why should we and why don't we? Very simple questions. So let's look at that first one. Why should we fast? Well, the the most obvious answer to this is in our text this morning. Jesus says, when you fast. And he, he says that in the same way that he says, when you give. If you look back at the previous passages, the same way that he says, when you pray. There's an expectation built into that statement that his followers would fast. He doesn't say, say, if you decide that fasting might be a good practice for you to shed some pounds, this is how you should do it. No, he says, when you do it, because you will be doing it. So, So we could say, first of all, that we fast because Jesus expects that we should. Why should we? Because Jesus expects us to. This becomes more apparent as we continue in Matthew's gospel. I want you to to look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 15. I have this up here. So this is a few chapters later. We'll get here probably in the fall. But uh, this okay. We have another series in between. (laughs) So so this is what uh, Jesus said, uh, or Matthew shares with us from Matthew chapter 9. Then the disciples of John, John the Baptist, came to him saying, Why do we... And the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom, who's that? That's Jesus. When the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So so here you have the followers of John the Baptist. And we, we know John the Baptist as this great prophet pointing people to Jesus and his followers are fasting and then you have the Pharisees and these are the holiest of the holy Jews in Israel and they're fasting and everyone looks to Jesus' followers and Jesus is the, the expected Messiah he's the one who is supposed to be the most obedient to the law the most honoring to God and all that he does and people would look to him and his followers and say they should be the best at this and yet they're not fasting at all 
Jesus says, well, that's because I'm with them. I'm with them. But there will come a time when I leave. When he dies on the cross, and he's buried, and he's resurrected, and then he ascends into heaven, where he's gone from his people. Spirit's here. But at that time, he says, then they will fast. That's the time that we're in right now, isn't it? Fasting is an expectation. If it was an expectation for the disciples after the resurrection and after the ascension of Jesus into heaven, it's also an expectation for us. You and I live in that time when the bridegroom is not here on the earth. We are awaiting his return. And so Jesus says it's expected that we should be fasting. That's only partly satisfying to me. This, this practice is so foreign to me, personally, and to many of us. I don't think we really understand the point of it. Why? Why would we do this? Jesus doesn't give us busy work. He doesn't just give us hoops to jump through to see if we're really the faithful. There must be some reason why fasting is a spiritual discipline that is expected among Jesus' followers. And so let's, let's look into those things. First, let's look at a couple of examples of why and when the early church fasted. Alright, so here's Jesus. He says, after I leave, my followers will fast. And then we see that happening in, in the early church, in the book of Acts. So let's look at when, when they did that. Let's look at Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. So this is uh, very early on in the established church after the persecution, after the, the, the Christians have been spread from Jerusalem into the surrounding areas, and after Paul's salvation. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So here in this this little passage, just a few verses, we have two different occasions of fasting. And they're actually kind of different from one another. In the church of Antioch, so this is probably the first major church outside of Jerusalem. You have the leaders of this church, the prophets and the teachers... And they're fasting as a part of their devotion to the Lord. Look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, it says. Now, it doesn't say why they were fasting. I think we need to be clear there. It doesn't say why exactly they were doing this. It seems that this was just a regular part of their personal spiritual devotion. Like, Like something they agreed to do as a part of their worship together. Uh, It's not the entire church doing it. It's just the leaders. And it doesn't say that they were trying to get the Holy Spirit to speak to them. Does it? it's, It's not like fasting is some sort of magic thing that we can go through and do to get God to speak to us. God's not, he's not a genie in a bottle. He's our father. He's our father, isn't he? And he's our father because of the work of Jesus in reconciling us to God. There's nothing that we can do that makes him more our father. There's nothing we can do that makes him less 
our Father. He's our Father. He loves us as His children, as His own. Fasting for these men was not a way of proving anything to God. It was a way of setting aside the things of the world and drawing close to the Lord in worship. That's all we can gather from this text. Okay? So if you use this as a proof text to say, if you fast, then the Holy Spirit will speak to you, you're wrong. That's that's not what's happening here. They're fasting and worshiping, and it happens to be in that time that the Spirit speaks to them. And he says to them, set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. This is their, this is Paul's missionary call and Barnabas. The, the Spirit calls them to go. And then as a way of preparing to send them off, what does the group do? It seems like some time passes. We don't know how much time has passed. But in response to that call, they fast again. And this time their fasting isn't with worship. It's said instead it is with prayer. And this fast is a little bit different. It is a, is a means of preparation. So in the first, the first one, fasting is sort of a, a way of showing their devotion and their worship. And this time it's a, it's a way of preparing Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas, for their, uh, for their missionary journey. In the next chapter of Acts, we see something very, very similar. Paul and Barnabas have been sent off by their home church in Antioch. They start their journey by going through Cyprus. Then they work their way up to the mainland in Greece. And immediately they, they hit all sorts of trouble. Lots of trouble coming their way. People don't want to hear this message that Paul and Barnabas have. And yet the Spirit moves. And some people receive Jesus Christ when they hear the good news. And then this is what happens in Acts chapter 14. Follow along with me. Acts 14, 19, and we'll read to 23. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. This is his first missionary journey. But, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, same city that he was stoned in, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So so picture this with me. Uh, Acts is a a wonderful story. It's true, but it's also good writing. Picture with me what Luke's describing for us. These men are preaching the gospel. People are coming to know the Lord. And these men are beaten. They're abused. They're stoned. And they keep getting back up. They keep getting back up to continue with their mission. What, What do you think prepared them for this? Certainly it was the Holy Spirit working in them. I also believe that the fasting that these men did to prepare themselves helped to strengthen them and give them resolve when they were feeling defeated. They had already sort of trained themselves to endure this sort of pain. Not only did they endure their time in these cities to begin with, but once they reached the end of the road, they made their way back through the exact same cities where they were persecuted and rejected And they made their way back through those cities, not because they had been welcomed there, 
right? There was no physical reward for them there. But they, they were interested in encouraging these brand new Christians who had come to Christ in those places. And then look again at verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, they go back through each of these cities, appoint elders in those churches so that they can go on to, to the next city and establish the churches there. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So in every city, they pause, stay for who knows how long, appoint elders, leaders, plural leaders of the churches in those places, and pray and fast, and then go on to the next city and do the same thing. Prayer and fasting are combined. And here's the purpose of it in in Acts 14, was to commit to the Lord these new elders in the churches. So in the same way that Paul and Barnabas and the leaders of the church prayed and fasted in preparation for their their own ministry, for their own mission, these people uh, are praying and fasting, or Paul and Barnabas are praying and fasting for these people and committing them to their ministry, where they are in their cities. This is a regular part of the church's practice. As I was thinking about this, uh, I remembered that as a church, we're about to call a new pastor to join us in gospel ministry. So, like I mentioned earlier, on April 28th, in just two weeks, we're going to assemble together as members for our quarterly business meeting. And at that time, Lord willing, we will vote to receive Pastor Saunders as our new pastor of discipleship and worship. And a lot of us have been praying for this for, for quite a while now. And we've considered how we should fill this position. And we've been seeking the Lord in this. And many of us have prayed, but not many of us have done what the early church did. Not many of us have fasted. And so as I was reading the example of the early church, and as I was studying Christ's words, I was convicted I, I, I thought, I have not, though, though I have taken this hiring process very seriously, and though many of us have, I haven't fasted. And I don't think it's an accident that we have arrived at this passage at this season in our church's life. So I believe it would be wise to seek the Lord in this. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You know what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> If Del Cerro is your church home, I'd like you to consider, I'm not going to force you to do this, I'm not going to make a big event of this, but I would like you to consider prayer in combination with some sort of fasting as we prepare ourselves to receive a new associate pastor. Again, it's not a requirement. It's not a requirement for membership. I'm just suggesting it as a way of applying the text to our own body. If a whole day fast is, is too intimidating for you, just skip one or two meals. If you have serious health issues, fast from something besides food. Okay, there's a lot of ways that we can set aside our, our normal earthly concerns in, in order to seek the Lord in prayer. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Instead of eating at those meal times on that day, whatever day it is, I want you to pray instead. 
Ask the Lord to lead our church in this process. Ask the Lord to give us unity. Ask him to prepare this new pastor and his wife for ministry here in San Diego. Ask the Lord to prepare you and me as we continue to pursue biblical faithfulness as a church. And as we think about a pastor of discipleship and worship, ask the Lord to give you a burden to see these things happening in your own life, to see discipleship happening in your own life. Fasting, in this case, does not make our prayer extra loud. All right? I want to be clear here about what's happening. It it doesn't move our request to the front of the line. It's not like the red phone. All right? Remember what Jesus told us uh, just a couple weeks ago. The Lord knows what we need before we ask. What fasting does is it just simply it shows our devotion, our seriousness. It's a, think of it this way. Think of fasting as a posture. A posture before the Lord that shows our submission to Him and our denial of ourselves. So pick a day sometime in the next two weeks. Don't tell me about it. Don't, don't tell me your plans. And if you need some help, do this with a brother or sister in Christ to keep you accountable, to encourage you in that. The object of this is not the fast in and of itself. If you make the fast the object of this, then you're just dieting. That's not what this is. The purpose of this is to set aside the things that normally consume our thoughts and let this be a time of dedicated prayer. Seek the Lord. So fast and pray for our church and the Lord's guidance of us as we enter this next season. Would you consider that? You don't have to sign a pledge or anything. Well, The second question I told you that we would address is why don't we fast? Some of you might have cringed as soon as you saw where I was going with that last application, right? As soon as you heard the suggestion to fast, immediately, if you're like me, our mind goes to reasons not to fast. Oh, I'll be busy that day. Well, I've got to exercise that day. I can't do that. I've got these meetings that day. I've got to be focused that day. There's so many reasons that we come up with immediately. And I'll be honest, when I was in the early stages of preparing to preach this text, I wasn't even thinking that much about fasting. In fact, here's what I was doing. I was trying to think of ways to get around not talking about fasting in a passage about fasting. I was going to maybe use it as a, a metaphor for something else. We're just not, we're not used to this subject. It's uncomfortable. It sounds like a battle. And we all know if we try it, we'll get a headache. For a bad headache the whole day long. Fasting is not at all a part of our regular worship or a part of our regular spiritual life. And, and that in and of itself may be the reason why we don't fast. It's just not normal for us. But I think, I think our aversion, at least my aversion to fasting, goes a little deeper than it's just being out of the ordinary. I think we don't fast Because we underestimate how beholden we are to our own desires. If fasting is meant to help train us to control our desires or to get used to suppressing fleshly desires, but think we think we have no issues with self-control. If that's our thought, well then fasting is not going to seem important to us. You following me? 
Think about it this way. Why should I go to the gym and train and work out if I believe I am a model of physical fitness? Why why would I do that? So so the problem is, is this. We aren't a model of physical fitness. And so we've deceived ourselves into thinking we're very good at self-control. We've deceived ourselves. We underestimate the power of of our fleshly internal desires. And so we don't take the steps that God has given us to help grow or increase our, our, our self-control. Just think about this example for a minute. That little device in your pocket that you're thinking about right now or in your pocketbook. Your smartphone. The one that just, you can't stop thinking about. Many of us have a problem with these little four-inch devices. We cannot control the desire to look at these things. Some of you right now are thinking, I've got to check Instagram. I've got to. It's just on our hearts all the time. We can't control that desire. We do it mindlessly even. When we go to bed, we look at our phones. When we get up in the morning, we look at our phones. When we're standing in line at a store, we look at our phones. When there is a lull in the conversation, we look at our phones. Sometimes we look at our phones instead of having a conversation with someone. If we're honest, we'd admit we have a very, very weak ability to control our desires when it comes to our phones. And we can see that sort of like a a canary in the coal mine. Something's going on in our lives that is weak when it comes to controlling our impulses. Now think about that same desire, that same desire for immediate gratification Think about how that affects how we think about food. Right? So these are both things of the physical body. We live in abundance. A lot of abundance. So if we want food, it's probably somewhere nearby. There are tables outside with food. We know they're there. They're in the back of our minds. We always know where the nearest food source is. We are one of the most food-rich, wealthiest civilizations in the history of the world. We have so much food that we throw away half of our food. It's so abundant. It's so in close proximity to us that it's almost like oxygen to us. We expect it. If we're running out of oxygen, something has gone horribly wrong, right? We tend to think that way about food. And because of that, because of that, our relationship with food, to suggest that we would consider Fasting occasionally is almost unheard of to us. Why would we do that? We, we wouldn't consider holding our breath for a whole day, right? So why would we consider going without food for a whole day? We're so used to, to gratifying our extraneous desires, like the desire for social media likes, or the desire to feel pleasure, or the desire to be entertained. We're so used to getting what we want in those areas when we want it, that we don't even consider that the desire for food is similar, that it's also a fleshly desire. And since we don't see it as a fleshly desire, we wouldn't consider suppressing that desire for a time of drawing near to God. just wouldn't cross our mind. We might consider a social media fast, right? Because we recognize this is a distraction in my life. 
We might consider a TV fast because we recognize this is probably a source of not a lot of good stuff in my life. Or a Netflix fast. All of those things are extras. We are aware of the danger. We're aware of the, the, the problem that those things present in our lives. But not many of us would consider a food fast. Right? What's wrong with food? Well, there's nothing wrong with food. It's a good gift from God. A very good gift. It's meant to feed and nourish our bodies to strengthen us. It's a good gift. And yet, despite that, Jesus expects that we would fast. Because there are times when we are so focused on feeding our bodies that we neglect to feed our souls. Let me read for you, this is our our last bit here. Paul's encouragement to the Philippian church. This will kind of wrap it all up. Philippians 3, 17 through 4, 1. Paul says to this church, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's talking about him and the other apostles. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So there's, there's two groups that we see here in this, in this short passage. On the one hand, you have Paul, and, and we've already seen his example as an apostle, his example as a missionary. He's putting his life on the line every day to see the gospel advanced. And here he's telling the Philippian church to follow his example, follow his example and the example of other mature Christians. And on the other hand, the contrast is you have those who have fallen away. The one who, when Paul thinks about it, brings him to tears. These are his friends, people that he was close to, people he probably ministered with, but they have fallen away. Paul says that they now walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And then look at some of the evidence that shows that they're enemies. Paul says their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. All those are three ways of saying the same thing. What is it? That their life pursuit is pleasure. Their own pleasure. That's what drives every decision that they make. Those who are enemies of the cross. For these people, when it comes down to following their own desires... Versus obeying God, 100% of the time, they follow their desires. They worship themselves. Because they have not died to themselves. But then look at this other group. This God-honoring group. 
Paul and his fellow apostles and those who are maturing in Christ. Verse 20, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where they belong. And from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is their every focus? What drives their life? Their hope in Christ. So on the one hand, those who God, whose God is their belly are focused on earthly things, on earthly pleasure, on earthly power. And then those whose God is Jesus Christ, not themselves, but Jesus Christ, their focus is heavenward. They are awaiting the return of Christ. Just think about the contrast in what the lives would look like of those two groups. Here's what fasting does for us. It reminds us that our ultimate joy isn't found even in the best meal. And I like food. But my ultimate joy isn't found in my wife's good cooking or my grandma's good cooking or in the best restaurant or in the best meal that could be prepared. There is a lot of joy to be held to, have, to be had in feasting. And we'll, many of us will experience that next Sunday in the afternoon, Easter Sunday. Many of us have traditions of a great big feast. And if you don't have somewhere to, to eat Easter dinner yet, come to my house. Open invitation. Just let me know ahead of time. Okay? We will feed you. Because Easter is a time of feasting. It's a time of celebration. But our greatest treasure, our greatest pleasure, our greatest hope isn't in meals like that. Our hope is in heaven. It's not in the pleasures of the world. The things of this world are meant to point us heavenward. And fasting does this. It can physically remind us of that truth, of that reality in a way that really nothing else can. There is nothing that parallels being hungry all day long. Nothing that feels like that. So when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So let's sum that up. Let your fasting be a, a little celebration, an early celebration of the worship of our Father. And when you fast, pray and tell Him you're looking forward to living in His kingdom for eternity more than you're looking forward to your next meal. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank You I want to thank you this morning.